Cheaters never win. Or if they do win, they don't feel good about it. Or if they do feel good about it, they're sociopaths. Hi, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Audrey. And I'm Elliot. And this is the show where we ignore the very good conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes, and instead get up close and personal with the lesser-known legacies and real-life bad behavior of some of history's most notable and beloved people. We're back. Back again. Another week with Meet Your Heroes. Yes. Appreciate the feedback on the new format. Yeah, the new format. Last week got a lot of positive feedback, so we're going to do it again. Although I have to say, if it got negative feedback, I don't know that we would have done anything different. No, no. I, if I thought it was going to get negative feedback, honestly, I wouldn't have asked for feedback. I would have just been like, <laughs> this is going to get negative feedback. So I know that. But here's the thing. I asked because I knew it was good and people would like it. You're like Tinkerbell. Yeah. As we've, as we've long established. <laughs> Clap for me. So here's, here's a new format. Data driven with results from a super scientific Instagram poll. People liked it. Amazing. Just like last week, we're going to do a, a bit of a guessing game. Name that hero. I'm going to give you some hints throughout this episode, the beginning, and then you're going to try and guess who the hero is. Then we're going to talk about the lesser known legacies of this person. We're going to talk about why it matters. And uh, I've actually even added a new sort of bit to the, the top of the show. Ooh. And I'm calling this bit memorable moments in modern history. I like it. Is this memorable moment related to today's hero? It's not. It's not. So it's just a memorable moment in modern history. It's one of those moments that is sort of like, oh my gosh, did that just happen? Kind of like Will Smith at the Oscars a few weeks ago where the entire world held its breath and was like, did we all really just see what we thought we saw? Mm, mm, okay, okay. Okay, so it's a moment like that. It's a moment that's just too good to be forgotten. I'm going to give you a two or three word hint. We're going to come back to it at the end. But if folks who are listening right now want to listen to this hint and then tweet us at Your Heroes Pod on Twitter, their guesses about this moment, uh, we'll respond. They'll get the answer at the end. So, I mean, I guess ostensibly they could listen to the end and then guess the right answer, but it's not as fun that way. They should. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. Just. Cheaters never win. Or if they do win, they don't feel good about it. Or if they do feel good about it, they're sociopaths. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Um, So I'm going to give you this hint. I want you to think about what what this memorable moment in modern history could be. Here's the clue. Green umbrella. Green umbrella. Got it? Green umbrella. Okay, some memorable moment in history that will Mm -hmm. be revealed at the end of the episode. Yes. And the hint is green umbrella. Yes. Folks need to stick with us. Get to the end. To, to get some resolution for that. But now we're going to dive into this week's hero. Ready? Ready. We're moving on to name that hero. Here's your first hint. Hey, hold on. Name that hero? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like we should have like a little bit of, uh, we need a name that hero theme song. Like, uh, name that hero? Or, or no, hold on. Let me try it. Um, name that hero. What's, what's the vibe we're going for here? Please guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Just give me the hints. Give me the hints. All right. This Scottish-born inventor and amateur ventriloquist spent a not insignificant amount of time teaching his dog to say 
how are you, Grandma? Wow. Wow. I don't I don't know that we've done many ventriloquists <laughs> on the podcast. Uh, I honestly, like if I were part of someone's cleanup crew, that would be the first thing I'd get rid of. Ventriloquism. Yeah. Goodbye. No one's gonna know about that. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh. So I take it, okay, so I'm taking from this hint then that this person is not famous for being a ventriloquist. Not famous. No, they're an amateur ventriloquist. This They were never professionally, like they weren't paid to be a ventriloquist, but they certainly um, got very good at this craft. It's not better. It's um, not better. No, it's actually worse. <laughs> like at that point, really, you don't tell anyone, unless you got paid to do it, keep that a secret. Yeah, if you're doing ventriloquist shows... And you're making bank. Like Jeff Dunham. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure, I don't know if that's what he wanted for his life. But at this point, he's like, you know what? It buys my roles, so whatever. There if you're just doing it for the passion, it's a whole separate type of thing. It really is. But I got to say, after this first hint, uh, Scottish ventriloquist, not really ringing any bells for me. I would, I would like my second hint, please. Okay. Well, the talking dog didn't do anything for you either? <laughs> oh, that's right. I, see, you can't, you can't just throw two big hints like this at once. I, I forgot about the talking dog. Yeah. What I'm what I'm feeling like is this is somebody who really would have appreciated the Muppets before the Muppets were around. Mm, mm, okay. Well, before I give you your second hint, let me give you some biographical details. This person was born in 1847. And like I said, they're Scottish born. In Scotland, around this time, not much is happening. I'm going to be honest. On the continent of Europe, there's a lot happening. There's a number of conflicts. France is stirring up a lot of shit with a lot of people. I don't know why they chose this time period, but the late 1800s or mid-1800s, they were uh, kind of a dick. In the United States, there's the Mexican-American War taking place where we get the boundary for uh, Mexico and America. I always forget about that one. Yeah. Although well, the river was a pretty good solution at the end of it, you got to say. Mm-hmm. Rio Grande did make sense. It did. Neptune is also discovered around this type. And the daguerreotype is getting popular. So one of the first forms of the camera. Scotland, not very happened in place. Mm -mm. But we are getting pictures. Pictures, Neptune. Neptune Neptune the planet or Neptune the god? Neptune the planet. Okay, okay. Named after Neptune the god. Uh, Ada Lovelace is writing her first computer program. So Mm. this is where we are in history. Okay, okay. Very early technology, but not going to stop advances in ventriloquism sciences. A little bit about this person's family. Uh, They have a few siblings. Their father, their uncle, and their grandfather are all teachers. And uh, what at the time was called elocutionists. Do you know what an elocutionist is? Elocutionist? Mm -hmm. Uh, I take it it's different from an electrocutionist. It is. Elocutionist has to do with speaking? Yes. Okay. That's that's about as close as I'm going to get. Okay, so this is the study and the practice of persuasive and proper speech. Persuasive and proper speech. Yes. So this is, they have the right grammar, they're compelling, they're orators, basically, but the science of oration. Got it, like debate club. But uh, although flawed premise, because turns out persuasive people not necessarily having great grammar. Mm -mm. This is what they were aspiring to. Got it. They're also all teachers or professor level of phonetics, which is the sound of speech. Like when you learn phonics or phonetics, it's what two letters make this sound. It's very specific science of the sound of speech. Okay. Got it. Okay. 
this hero's family spent most of their time uh, working in Scotland and England. Eventually, they make their way to Canada and finally to the United States. But they start in Scotland and England. Any guesses about this week's hero so far? Doesn't really narrow it down for me. Doesn't. It doesn't. Let me give you hint number two. Although this week's hero comes from a family of orators and, like I mentioned, a dynasty of people studying sound, both his mother and his wife were deaf. Oh, and it is a he. You revealed this a he. It's a he. Yes, that hint, that hint gives you a little bit more information. Okay, I have to say, first real mystery of this episode mm-hmm. is if... Your mother is deaf. Mm-hmm. Why are you investing so much time trying to get your dog to say, hello, grandma? The grandma is not even going to hear it. What the hell? It's a complicated legacy. It is a complicated legacy. Okay. No, uh, I can't say that having the deaf family helps me out either. Although it does really make me wonder where this passion comes from. All right. Well, if you can't get it with those two obscure hints, let me give you a third one. I think you'll get it. I think. I have a gut feeling. This week's hero is most well-known for being credited as the inventor of the telephone. Uh, I have to say, I do feel like that one kind of gives it away. Mm -hmm. I do feel like it does. Yeah. This week's hero is Alexander Graham Bell himself. Yes. This week's hero is Alexander Graham Bell. What do you know about Alexander Graham Bell? Widely known as being credited as the inventor of the telephone. That's basically it. Sure. Yeah, I think that's what most people know. That's, that's about it. But there's more to this hero. There's more to Alexander Graham Bell than what limited information the history books have taught us. And so this week, we're digging in to the lesser known legacy and proving once again why you should never meet your heroes. Alexander Graham Bell. Like I said, born in Scotland, born into a family that studies language, specifically sounds of languages, variety of languages, in fact, and um, the process of using language in a compelling way. He's described as a curious kid who was, like a number of our heroes, pretty mediocre in school. Hated it. Didn't go that often. Didn't love it. Didn't love it. Okay. Eventually, his, you know, teacher father and grandfather were like, you have to go to school or we're going to homeschool you. And Alexander was like, homeschool me. So eventually he gets pulled out of traditional school and his grandfather is put in charge of teaching him. This is around like middle school. Really excels at this point. And then through his grandfather's connections or his family's connections, Alexander ends up working as a teacher at a school for the deaf. He does this for many years but it's like not his real passion. He's primarily just working there to pay the bills and because his family has the connections. The thing he does with the majority of his free time, that's where his heart lies. And that's tinkering. What kind of tinkering is he doing? Are we talking like steam engine stuff here? You know, that would make sense for the time period. No, it's more um, tinkering with electricity. He really likes electricity. The, mm. the telegraph was invented just a few years before he was born. And so the idea that sound and electricity could be connected is this idea that that implants in him very young. And he's like, hey, all of you uh, elocutionists, that's history. I'm going to take it to the next level. And I'm going to take what I know about language and oration. I'm going to put some electricity behind it. Electric speech. Mm-hmm. 
like the predecessor to the electric slide. He's a he is an innovator. He is right. It's 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 actually just like one uh, slide step foot motion away from language to dance. But it's gonna take it's gonna take many generations for us to evolve this technology into the electric slide. For right now, he's just working on the very first step, which is the electric speech. Got it? Yes. 1872. Let's get ourselves there. Alexander Graham Bell is 25. He's living in Boston. He's been working as a professor for a while. He's working as a professor of, you guessed it, elocution, family business. Oh, this is like a subject in school type thing. It is at this point. Okay. Okay. In 1872, a few very important things happen for Alexander. The first is that he realizes he can't keep up the pace of teaching and realizing his dream of being a world famous inventor at the same time. He's at one of those moments in his life where he has to go all in on one of them. Spoiler, he does not choose teaching. Here's the thing, though. He still has to pay bills. So to fund this work, he decides to take on two students for private instruction. And these two students have loaded parents, obscenely wealthy parents, who want the very best for their children who are deaf. So wait, he's teaching elocution to deaf students at this point. He was. Yeah. So he was working at a school for the deaf, teaching elocution and a handful of other things relating to speech and language in a deaf environment. Got it. One of those students that he takes on is a 15-year-old named Mabel Hubbard. Her father was a wealthy businessman who was basically like, I'll pay you and I'll help you find a place to live as well as a laboratory in exchange for providing private lessons to 15-year-old Mabel. And I'll pay you what you were making as a teacher so you can continue your tinkering, but Mabel's going to get your expertise. Alexander's like, boom, done. Love it. Side note, is it cool if I seduce your 15-year-old daughter? Wait, he asks this to the dad? No. It's implied when he starts seducing the 15-year-old daughter. Got it, got it, got it, got it. (laughs) I guess at the time they would call it courting. Maybe not explicitly seducing, but he does make a move on the 15-year-old girl who is 10 years younger than him. Yikes. Here's the thing, though. Just like he couldn't work full-time and be the inventor he wanted to be, He also could not court Mabel full-time and do his experiments simultaneously. Wait, is courting like a full-time job? It requires some effort. Some effort, yeah. I mean, yeah, I know dating is not what it used to be, but like, come on. Like, I feel like you could at least get some stuff done during the work day, right? I mean, probably. Here's the thing. He just didn't want to be in a serious relationship until he was financially secure. That was his excuse. The problem was the money, not the child part? I'm telling you what I know. And the problem is that he was not financially stable enough to want to make an honest woman of Mabel. He's married to the job. Okay. Married to the game. Got it. Yes. Got it. They do eventually get married a few years later when Mabel is like 19 or 20. I don't know. He gives her some time to literally grow up. Yes. I mean, I guess that's better. Uh, I mean, he is still like courting a teenager this entire time. They're dating. He's just not all in. Sure. Sure. He's all in on experimenting. And all in on experimenting pays off in 1876. Pays off three days after filing his patent for the telephone. Three days after he files his patent, he utters the phrase, Mr. Watson, come here. I want to see you. And he gets his telephone to work for the very first time. Ta-da. Ta-da. He did it. Electric speech. Electric speech. The first one to do it, right? Impressive. Wrong. He's not the first one to do it. And here's the controversy. Bell, as we know him, is credited with inventing the telephone. 
Later in his life, he will use this patent as proof that he was the first. The thing is, he wasn't the first. He probably actually wasn't even the second. Wait, so we're dealing with like a third tier tinkerer here? Third tier tinkerer with uh, the $10 the first person didn't have to file the patent. Yikes. And the connections the second person didn't have. So let me tell you about this. I'm not going to get too in the weeds here. There's actually a drunk history episode about this specific controversy that folks can go watch or, I don't know, listen to in the background if they're interested. But here's the long and the short of it. On the day he files his patent, and I'm doing air quotes here. People can't see. He files his patent. He was Mm -hmm. actually 440 miles away. So he sent a lawyer to file his patent. This lawyer is tipped off that the first guy to file the patent is filing it. So he immediately hurries up, goes to the, the patent office, and is like, hey, I need to file this patent for Alexander Graham Bell. The patent clerk, coincidentally, was an alcoholic who was, in fact, in debt to Alexander Graham Bell's lawyer. Oh. So as a favor to this lawyer, and in exchange for an extra 100 bucks which is $2,400 modern time, just for context, Mm -hmm. with a low, low price of $2,400 today. At the time, this patent clerk falsifies Bell's patent to make it look like he submitted it first. Generally, the timestamp on a patent wouldn't really matter, but here's why it matters. Being credited as the first to invent the telephone gave Alexander Graham Bell this advantage in the market. This patent, this invention, and later, the Bell Telephone Company, that's the result of this, this specific patent and this specific device, yep, yep. goes on to make Alexander Graham Bell just wealthy beyond measure. Pretty good return on investment for that bribe. I know, right? Yeah. 100 bucks, billionaire for life. At first, though, the money was kind of slow. The telephone is, is considered an instant success, but that's just as an invention. That's not as like uh, households now have it. They have to figure out the whole wiring system. He works with Western Union. You know, you got to set up parallel lines to the telegraph and get the electric voice on there. It's not just beeps anymore. A lot of of wires to lay to make it useful. If you're the only one in your block of the telephone, you're not calling anybody. You're not calling anybody. Nope. (laughs) So the invention itself was an instant success. At one point, uh, Bell and his benefactors, who's Mabel's dad, his father-in-law, try and sell this patent to Western Union for $100,000. Uh, Western Union balks at it. They're like, no, the telephone, that's just a toy. They literally call it a toy. We're not going to buy that toy for $100,000. Oh, because telegraphs are the way of the future. Yes. That's what they're saying. Oh, yes. got it, got it, got it. The president of Western Union would later, like a few years later, say, if I could buy the patent for $25 million, I would consider it a bargain. Yikes. So real missed opportunity there. Real missed opportunity. But at first, Alexander's not raking in the money. So he does what he has to do to support his wife and his growing family. You know, the telephone inventor, this professor of elocution, he's very persuasive and very compelling. And so he makes his living going around giving speeches and lectures about inventing, as well as this one other thing that he seems to just know a lot about. Any guesses what this thing is? Ventriloquism? You know, that would be ideal. That would be the best case scenario. Unfortunately, the thing that Bell uses his expertise and life experience and celebrity, now celebrity as an inventor, to talk about is eugenics. Oh, yikes. Oh, yikes. Big yikes. Specifically with regard to the deaf community. So he travels around arguing that deaf people should not be allowed to marry other deaf people. 
especially because that will result in the reproduction of other deaf people because he believes that there's a strong hereditary component to deafness. In 1884, he publishes a paper called Upon the Formation of a Deaf Variety of the Human Race. And in it, he issues a warning that deaf people were forming clubs, they were socializing with one another, and worst of all, marrying other deaf people. He concluded that this would result in the creation of a deaf race and that this was already underway. He said, quote, sexual selection is at work among the deaf and dumb. Those who believe, as I do, that the production of a defective race of human beings would be a great calamity to the world will examine carefully the causes that lead to the intermarriages of the deaf with the object of applying a remedy. He's explicitly just calling people defective Mm -hmm. and, ooh. Yeah, and it's very complicated, right? Because he has a deaf mother, he has a deaf wife, he's worked in deaf schools or schools for the deaf. And his big takeaway from this is that deaf people should not be socializing with one another. He argues in some of his papers that the segregation of deaf students in in schools for the deaf is problematic and that they should be given no modifications or accommodation, like we should stop teaching them sign language, force them to learn to read lips, and uh, then they'll just have to assimilate to hearing the hearing world. Super problematic, obviously. In the background, telephones starting to take off. So Alexander's starting to make a little bit of money. He's got a little more free time. And he picks up a hobby. And this hobby is actually where he um, gets the quote-unquote scientific background for continuing to make the case for eugenics. You want to know what that hobby is? Sure. Breeding sheep. Wait, what? Yeah. So through animal husbandry, Alexander Graham Bell believes he has uh, discovered the scientific backing for eugenics, that he understands genetics to the extent that he can convince policymakers and individuals to, you know, get rid of deafness in the world in particular. So so just to get this straight, this guy is like, uh, so everybody's aware I have been uh, picking sheep to have sex with each other. And therefore, mm-hmm. I have come to the conclusion that deaf people shouldn't have social clubs. Yeah. Yeah. That's, okay. that's it in a nutshell. Good wrap up. Fast forward to 1903. He's in his mid-60s. He's made it. He's rolling. He's, he is just rolling in it. He has so much money. He's a, because at this point, the telephone has taken, taken off and off. they've built the infrastructure and everything. Okay. Yeah. And the real, the real thing that makes him money is a Bell Telephone Company. It's not the invention of the device. It's that he has a monopoly on the way that telephones work. He set up the, the phone lines. He's raking in money. He's traveling around the world at this point, now really pushing his early idea of eugenics. He's, you know, way into animal husbandry. And he joins the American Breeders Association. What's the American Breeders Association? Good question. Thanks for asking. Dog breeders, I'm assuming, right? No, no, it's not. But it was founded by agricultural scientists in 1903. The American Breeders Association was the first national membership-based organization promoting genetic and eugenic research in the United States. Wait, what? Mm Mm-hmm. Breeders as in people breeding? Well... They're in agricultural science. It started as animal breeding. And then they were like, again, we know what we're talking about. Let's, let's apply this to humans. Yikes. He joins the organization and eventually pretty rapidly 
uh, is like the chair of the Committee on Deaf Mutism in this eugenics club. He sticks around. You know, he's wielding his power. He is considered this preeminent scientist. Like, again, celebrity scientists. There's not many of them in the world. People know who he is. So it's especially problematic when in 1910, the Eugenics Records Office is opened and Bell takes his place as the board chair of this organization. The goal of this organization was to collect substantial information on the ancestry of the American population and to produce propaganda that, made, that was made to fuel the eugenics movement and to promote the idea of, quote-unquote, race betterment. Oh, so we've taken a leap here. We've gone mm-hmm. from uh, just trying to essentially prevent deaf people from having children to now trying to craft a perfect race? Yes. Oh, yeah. And he's the chair of this organization. His entry point was getting, getting rid of deaf people. But he's all behind the science of eugenics. Ten years later, it's 1921, the Second International Congress of Eugenics was held. And although Bell did not present any research or speak as part of the proceedings, he was named as the honorary president, specifically as a means to attract other scientists to attend the event. Because they're trying to build a scientific justification for this program. Yeah. He's the keynote speaker. Well, he's not even a speaker. He's just the headliner that's getting other legitimate scientists to come to this eugenics conference. So let's talk about why that matters. 100 years later, in general, I think the question is like, why does it matter that someone as historically important as Alexander Graham Bell was a eugenicist? And why has history sanitized this part of his legacy? Why do we think of him as the inventor of the telephone as opposed to one of the preeminent scientific promoters of eugenics in America? Yeah. Why is he celebrated as this person in history? Why are there kids shows featuring him? Books. We all learn there's just like one specific thing about him, which is this invention, which is not insignificant, but like it's probably the least problematic part of his history and the only one we ever talk about. At the time, eugenics was, you know, like cutting edge science, but it wasn't this like random field of study. It ended up being uh, a movement that inspired political activity and real policy in a lot of places and did a lot of harm to a lot of communities. It inspired organizations like the KKK and eugenics was an organizing principle of Nazis, literal Nazis. Of the Third Reich, not just Nazis generically, of the Third Reich in Germany, right. the, the original founders of Nazism. Yes, there were actual policies drafted by eugenicists who were at this 1921 conference with Alexander Graham Bell, took back their ideas to California, drafted real policy, and this policy was around forced sterilization and a bunch of racist immigration policies, and they went back to California, they codified it into law. When the Nazis were crafting their own, I don't playbook, list of policies, they like copy-pasted from these policies that sprung from this eugenics conference in 1921. The conference Alexander Graham Bell was the honorary chair of was yes. the place where they wrote the original Nazi Germany policies. That in short, inspired the Holocaust. The seeds of it get planted there in very real and meaningful ways. And so we look at his legacy, right? He's known as this inventor of the telephone. He wasn't. And 
it's important that the fact that he stole this idea, which is just a dick move in and of itself, and his patent, he stole it. It afforded him wealth. And from that invention, his financial power and his social influence really did end up having a substantial impact on the propagation of eugenics and harmful policies the world over for the past hundred years. Yeah, but the second guy to patent this thing was an eugenicist. <laughs> I don't know. His his name's Elisha or Alicia Elijah. It's spelled E-L-I-S-H-A, I believe. Gray. Elisha. So, Let's say Elisha. Elisha. Yeah. Folks can look him up. I bet he's a better dude. I, I can't guarantee that though. We've I've never done any research into him. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> It's not as simple as stealing a patent, inventing a telephone, living off of those means and doing less harm to the world. He leveraged that wealth and power into things that killed millions of people. It's kind of a bummer. I would have much rather had to live with telegrams for much longer than to have given this guy millions of dollars to spread his racist bullshit. Right. I've learned Morse code. That's all you have to know, right? Small price to pay. So for the Forcing his dog to talk. I'm adding that in here. That's in the, the cons column. No, what? <laughs> the ventriloquism, another con. Strike two. Wait, go back. I feel like the, the animal talking is like one of the only cool things he did. <laughs> okay, moving to the pros. Here's, <laughs> here's the real cons. For the theft of the patent, the bribing the patent officer, the you know falsified invention of this thing that ended up giving him millions and millions and millions of dollars for leveraging that into a platform to promote eugenics. Alexander Graham Bell is not my hero. Man, what a dick bag. Yeah, in every way. With the family members too. Like your own family members and just being like, oh yeah, yeah, there should be no more people in the world like you. We should try to forcibly sterilize people to breed out Whatever characteristics I consider inferior, yeah. And that's not just our 2022 perspective. At the time that he was, you know, pushing these ideas of eugenics, there were deaf organizations pushing back saying, I don't know why you think we're suffering. We live very full, thriving lives, and this is kind of none of your fucking business. Yeah, right? Like, just because you perceive this, quote unquote, defectiveness, it doesn't exist. It's not true. It's, you know, at the at the core of it, it's not just about deafness. It was about power and influence. And we still see that playing out today. True professional levels of audacity seeping out way. of every pore. Audacity Granbell. That's his new name. Audacity Granbell. <laughs> Speaking of professionals, mm -hmm. it's time for memorable moments in history. You ready to close this loop? Let's close it out. Were you able to figure it out? Green umbrella? No idea. No idea? Wow. Okay. So this memorable moment in modern history happened in 2007 when Britney Spears used a green umbrella to attack a paparazzi's car. Oh, I, I was, I was, that was not what I was going to go with that. But I, was it green? Really? It was green. I looked it up on the internet just to confirm that my mental picture of this moment that made me say, oh my goodness, what is happening in real time was actually green. And it was green. It's green. Memorable moment. Memorable moment indeed. And look at Brittany now. She's thriving. We love that for her. Mm -hmm. Everything's great. Can't wait to read her book. Her Instagram posts are basically poetry at this point. They resist a superficial interpretation. I will say that. <laughs> sure. There's a TikTok account where the Southern woman from Louisiana basically says like, hey, if you read Britney Spears's 
Instagram post. And remember, she's a 40-something mom from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Then they make sense. And she helps interpret them from this perspective of being a 40-year-old something mom from Louisiana. And it makes total sense when you hear her explain them. Interesting. Okay. I always appreciate somebody who can translate new perspective into terms mm -hmm. I can appreciate. And if people are looking for more episodes to interpret history for them into a perspective they can appreciate, where can they find us? They can find us on social media at Your Heroes Pod or on our website at meetyourheroespodcast.com. Yep. And please like, share, rate, review, spread the word, tell your friends. And until next week. Don't be a hero. Don't be a hero. Bye. Thank you.